So welcome back to the Leaders of Consulting podcast. Today I'm here with Terry McDougall, who's an executive coach and leadership consultant who helps high-achieving professionals remove obstacles that keep them stuck so they can enjoy more success and satisfaction in their lives and careers. So Terry, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's uh, lovely to chat to you today. Well, John, it's great to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Absolutely. So, Terry, you've got a lot to dig into today. I know you've um, had a previous career in marketing and you've gone through a whole transition, so I'd love to hear some of your stories about that. But first of all, can we just kind of start off with a unique approach, tip, tool or strategy you might have for other consultants listening in that they should really know about? Well, I would say I'm not sure that it's completely unique, but I think that the most important thing to do as a business owner or consultant is just to maintain a a really healthy and vibrant network because, you know, all business comes through other people, whether it's us going out and pitching somebody directly or referrals. And, you know, certainly what I've found is that the business that closes the most easily for me is business that comes through referrals and referrals come through my network. <laughs> so that's that's my bit of advice and experience for you know what's most important in my business. Yeah. And can you describe to us like how you would go, go about maintaining a healthy and diverse network of yours? You know, it's it's about remaining open. It's also about trying to be helpful. I have sort of peeled back the blinders in a way on different ways to be connected. I mean, you know, I were talking about this before you hit record that I've been on more than 200 podcasts and I I really love it. It's almost like an addiction. I just love talking with people, but that's been really helpful. I also, I mean, in more so in pre-pandemic times, but I was, uh, I've been a member of a number of networking groups. Um, I was pretty involved in the American Marketing Association in the Chicago chapter, and I've done some speaking for them. And, you know, I think just being open and looking for ways to help, you know, being in touch with the people that are on the the board and, you know, just being interested. That's, uh, you know, I, I guess it's sort of karma in a way, right? But I found that if you're willing to be open and to help people, that things come back to you. Maybe it's not going to be immediate, but I've been pleasantly surprised how, you know, sometimes things just come out of left field, but it's, it's really from a seed that I planted a while ago, sometimes decades ago, surprisingly enough. (laughs) Yeah. I'm also a big believer in, in give first, as you mentioned there, 200 podcasts, like that's no mean feat. And as you were saying earlier, before the pandemic, a lot of this was kind of brought on by the pandemic. I know a lot of people used to have speaking engagements and then, but as you were saying to me, like pre-pandemic, I think you'd done, what was it, two podcasts? Yeah, two or three. And, you know, they were just really accidental in a way. I think one, somebody reached out to me on LinkedIn. I was starting to write my book and I had made a post about it and somebody reached out to me and said, oh, that sounds interesting. I'd love to have you on my podcast. And then there was somebody else that was in my network who I already knew her in a different context. And, you know, she sent out a message to her contact saying like, hey, I'm starting a podcast if you want to be on it. So I'd only been on a couple. But when the pandemic, I mean, my book came out in April of 2020. And I had planned on doing a big launch party and doing book signings and that kind of thing. And so obviously, that was off with the lockdown. And so, you know, I started looking around and thinking like, how else can I get the word out about the book? And, you know, as you and I were talking 
before we hit record, I was doing a lot with help a reporter out initially. And I got a lot of traction. I got quoted in probably 60 or 70 articles, but that was a lot of work for, you know, maybe just a sentence with my name attached to it. And so once I found podcastguest.com and matchmaker.com, I started being a lot more proactive about doing outreach. And, you know, I think my background in marketing doesn't hurt either. I get a pretty high hit rate in terms of a fight, but I, I'm also selective. You know, I try to really only pitch myself for podcasts that I can really speak to the topic. And I, you saw what I send, I, I send kind of like a pretty specific description of what I do and what I can speak to and what my background is and how I'll promote it. And so I think that that gives a lot of podcast hosts enough information for them, for them to say like, oh, yeah, she sounds like a good guest. And, you know, they can check me out because I, I put all my links out there. Yeah. Were there any mistakes you made at the beginning? Or do you know other people who make, you know, classic mistakes when doing that, you know, reaching out to podcast hosts? Is there anything that you would have done differently? Well, no, I've never made any mistakes, John. <laughs> no, of course, you know, I have my own podcast. And one of the things that I've seen is that people will just reach out to me on matchmaker.fm and, and just say, hey, I'd like to be on your podcast, period. That's it. And I'm busy. I have my own business to run. I'm on lots of podcasts. I don't have time to go out and do a lot of research on people or they'll just send a link like, listen to me on this podcast. And I'm like, well, I don't really know anything about you. You know, introduce yourself to me. Let me know what you're all about, right? That's helpful, you know? And I, I think that the easier you can make it for other people, the more likely it is that you're going to make that connection. In terms of mistakes that I've made, I don't know if I would call them mistakes, but I've just learned a lot. You know, I think probably one of the biggest lessons that I've learned is just to, you know, just be myself, that this is just a conversation. It's not like I'm in front of, you know, a stadium of 10,000 people. <laughs> you know, I'm just connecting with one person, you know, one on one. And, you know, I've had lots of conversations in my life, so I can do that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, I think that's something that I'm I'm learning myself, you know, having, you know, started this podcast recently, and just having that experience of speaking to several people. It's very easy when you come into this initially to be like, oh, a little bit nervous, and I've got to be on top of my game and that sort of thing. But at the end of the day, it's just a it's a conversation. It's just a conversation between two people. And the best thing you can do is, like you say, you know, just be yourself. Just picking up on, a, on another point you made there about uh, when people reach out, I, I totally agree about this point you made about uh, not making the other person do the hard work. So exactly, when you get those messages where it's like, oh, would love to be on your show, and you've got absolutely nothing nothing else to go off. They haven't mentioned you know, why they think it would be a good fit or what they can bring to the audience or what they'd like to speak about. You basically have to do all that legwork for them. Um, and so that's, yeah. So I think, yeah, just... I actually, at some point, maybe mid-year last year after I... You know, when I started my podcast, it was like really very spontaneous. It was like I was talking with one of my clients and we were having sort of this funny conversation about marketing and she she made the comment, you know, wow, this is such a great conversation. It would make a great podcast episode. And I just had like a little ding, ding, ding <laughs> go off in my head. And I was like, I really enjoyed the conversation a lot also. And I thought, you know, as a, a consultant who worked for 30 years in marketing, I'm not a marketing consultant. I'm an executive coach and leadership consultant now, but certainly I draw on a lot of the lessons that I learned in my long career. I kind of miss being immersed in marketing every day like I was in my career. And I love 
I love marketers. I love salespeople. I love people that work in PR and communications. And so I kind of miss that. And so I thought, and, and also I do coach a lot of people in marketing and advertising and communications. And so I thought, okay, well, this is like kind of a win-win. Like I can do something that's fun for me. I can talk with people that work in that field. They're getting to know me better. It's another sort of node in my network. So if they know me and trust me, and they know if somebody that needs my services, they can refer me. And then also just getting those conversations out into the ether, if you will, people can hear hear them and say like, oh, if I'm looking for a coach, you know, maybe maybe Terry's a good fit. But anyway, mid-year last year, I realized, you know, so many people were reaching out that I didn't always have time to like have the conversation or to, you know, really explore. And also my calendar was filling up in terms of, you know, recording dates. And so I set up a Google Doc, you know, a Google form um, that took people's information. And so now when people reach out, I just send them the link to the form. And I just tell them, I'm not taking new guests right now. But if you want to fill out this application, you know, when I have openings in the schedule, I'll review it. And if I think you're a good fit, I'll reach out to you. So that way, you know, I can respond and but it gives them the opportunity to make their case. You know, they can tell me, you know, what they're all about, they can provide links. So if I think they look interesting, then I can check them out a little bit more. So that's been helpful. Yeah, that's a, that sounds like a sensible approach. So, Terry, um, just kind of moving on to our next question here. Can you tell us about a resource that's made a big impact on you? It could be a book, article, or, or podcast. And this could be something that's impacted you professionally or personally. Oh, my gosh. There's, there's so many um, books. I mean, I, I have a pretty big library of leadership and business books, or, you know, even self-help books, personal ones. There's, let me think here. I do a lot of coaching around career. One of the most impactful books in my whole career was a book that my college boyfriend's mom gave me when I first graduated called What Color Is Your Parachute? And that book is all about, you know, when you're looking for a job or you're thinking about your career to look inside first, to like start with yourself and to say, you know, what is it that I like to do? And what am I good at? And what do I want out of life? You know, and once you sort of like build your own personal roadmap, that's going to take you in the direction towards a career that's more fulfilling. And a lot of times people do the opposite, right? They ask people like, hey, mom, dad, professor, friends, what kind of career should I, oh, you know, be a CPA because they make a lot of money or go to law school or whatever. And not that there's anything wrong with, with those kind of professions, right? But if you haven't checked with yourself to say like, okay, if this is what's required in that profession, I need to check in to say like, do I like doing that? Am I good at math? Am I good at memorizing laws or whatever? I'm not a lawyer, so... <laughs> making arguments, you know, but you really need to start with yourself. And so that book was really impactful for me. And yeah, it's funny, even though I got that uh, book when I was 22, and I'm in my 50s now, it's still really relevant. I mean, they update it every year, but it just is really, really great advice for people around their careers. And a lot of times, you know, even in executive coaching, some of the things that I end up working with people on, really go back to, are you really starting with yourself? You know, are you really clear on what it is that you want and that you need? Because if you're clear on that, you can design a, a way to get there. But if you're really too focused on what people outside of you are telling you, you're going to be sort of confused and spinning. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's, that book is a classic. Like you say, gets updated every single year. So there's always something new in there. 
Fantastic. So you mentioned your some of your executive coaching you, you, you do and and the leadership consulting. I'd love to dive into that a little bit more. Can you tell me like what what would a typical ideal client be for you that you work with? Well, I say that I work with people that are successful but not satisfied, and generally professionals that have been in the workplace for at least 10 years. They're typically either highly paid individual contributors or managers or, or rising leaders. And um, what I mean by successful but not satisfied is that if you were to look at them on paper, you'd say, hey, they've got it made, working for a good company, got a good title, making good money. But they're paying a higher than necessary price for their success in terms of stress, anxiety, burnout, sometimes health and relationship problems too. And what I really believe is that if you can get clear on what your goal is, and you can actually design a roadmap to get there, but so often people just get really stuck in what is not working for them rather than like flipping it around and saying, what is it that I really want in this situation? And, you know, big factor that's often left out of that equation is themselves. You know, they really are so externally focused on what does my boss want? You know, what are the goals in the business that they're not taking into consideration themselves? And when we can shift that mindset to believe that our goals are possible and we open up to learning some new skills on how to get there, all of a sudden it really opens up a whole new world of what the experience at, at work can be like. Because it's what, what good is success if, if you don't have enough energy to enjoy it? Yeah. And and can you describe any examples of where just a small but important shift in perspective really changed something for, for one of the people you work with? I was working with a woman who she'd been at a financial services company for about 20 years. She'd started right out of college or university, and she'd moved up in the organization to a point that she was leading a team of eight people and she was sort of like a player coach and she did well in that role. And a few months before she and I started working together, she got promoted to be a department head from team lead to department head. And she had 50 people on the team. And when she was the team lead, if anybody on her team, you know, sort of got behind on their work or whatever, because she was a player coach, she just sort of like jump in and take the things off their plate and just keep everything moving along for the team. And when she moved into the role leading the whole department, she attempted to manage the team of 50 the same way that she managed the team of eight. And when a few months into her tenure, we started working together. And she's one of the first things she said to me was, I'm considering asking my boss to demote me. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> let's, let's stop for a moment here and let's talk about this. And she said, I'm working like 70 hours a week. I've got two young children at home. On the weekends, I'm bringing so much work home. I don't have time to spend time with my family. My husband's had like a single parent on the weekends. And so we just started really looking around at her situation and looking for what I call the leverage points. So where can she make more impact in her role without as much effort, right? I mean, obviously, 70 hours a week is not sustainable. And so we started with one very simple thing, and we built from there. But the simple thing that she started with, like right after our first session was that she was going to close her door to her office two hours a day, because she had her door open all day long. And so therefore, she had a constant stream of people coming in 
you know, and she was answering questions and solving problems all day long. And so that caused her not to have enough time and focus to do her own work. You know, I mean, just because you're a manager doesn't mean that you don't have your own work. That's what she was taking home on the weekends. And so she actually had a little bit of a sticking point with that. She was like, oh, what are people going to think? I want to be an open door manager. And we just agreed that, you know, she'd tell her team like, look, I'm going to close my door for a couple hours a day. I don't want you to think that there's anything, you know, nefarious going on behind closed doors. I need to get my own work done. And funny enough is that when she started doing that, fewer people came to her. Not a shock because when she wasn't available, they went to somebody else who, by the way, that's the way it should be, right? You shouldn't have to go to the probably the most highly paid person in the whole department to get some simple question answered. But that was what was happening. And then there were other things. I mean, things like, you know, she was just looking for like, how can she get more done with less effort? And another another simple example was that, you know, she had several managers that reported to her as the director of the department, and she had to gather information from them each week to do a report for her boss. And one of the things that she shared was that, and some, some of the stuff's like very simple, but she just wasn't thinking about it, that it took her a long time to format the information that she was receiving from her managers to put it in the report format. And I was like, no. <laughs> we're flipping this, right? You give the format to the people on your team, they put the information in the format. So then it comes to you and like you or your assistant can just compile the pages. And you know, maybe you put your little editorial comments in there for your boss, but she hadn't really mentally promoted herself to be the leader. But after we worked together for a few months, she was able to reduce the number of hours to about 50 to 55, which is still a lot, but it's not uncommon in the corporate world for people to work 50 hours a week. And the other thing that I think is super interesting about her situation is that when we first started working together, she was sort of like a company person, right? Like she led the company colors and been there her whole career. And when she sort of got a breather, you know, when she was able to sort of like get some perspective on what was going on at work, she actually had been pretty regularly recruited by other firms and she never would take the calls. And she actually decided to start taking calls and she ended up getting another job where she got like a 25% raise and she was in a role that she didn't have to work as many hours. So, you know, I just think that that was a win-win when she was at her first firm, but then it was even another win for her that she was able to get another job, which that wasn't part of our, That w- but I think it just her confidence increased and she had enough energy to think about the possibility of advancing at another firm. So that worked out really nicely. I would imagine, yeah, just having that head, that extra headspace, not working every single you know hour of the day that you're actually awake made a difference, right? Yeah, it's that's definitely not sustainable, you know, because I always like to think of I mean, this is true of work, but it's true of other parts of our life, too, is that we need to have some, you know, diversity of activity, we need to have time to just do nothing or, you know, spend time with our families, our friends to, to refill our tank, so that when Monday morning rolls around, and it's time to go back to work, that we've got enough energy to face the challenges. But, you know, I think just in today's work culture, it's become increasingly accepted that like, if you're not grinding it out, you know, you're just not doing a good job. But I would beg to differ completely. I think that, you know, we're all human beings, and we've got to make sure that we're caring for ourselves, because, you know, we'll break down. And certainly you see it all the time that executive is working 
so many hours that they don't spend time with their family and they end up getting divorced or they have a heart attack or they gain a lot of weight and they're just unhealthy, you know, or they get to a point like my my client was where she was willing, she was feeling so desperate that she was willing to give up the thing that she had worked so hard for and she had won because she wasn't sure how to do it without like literally killing herself. Yeah. And and for someone who finds themselves in a similar situation where they, they are feeling really overwhelmed with all the work they're doing, they're, they've got this high power position. Are there any initial steps? I know some people suggest, you know, taking stock of exactly where your time is being spent. Or is that the starting point? Or is there something else that you usually often suggest for people to look at first? Well, I think there's a couple things. I mean, doing a, a time use inventory is really helpful. But one of the things I've noticed with high achievers is that when they're faced with increasing pressure, increasing challenges, rather than, you know, kind of stepping back, and what I call zooming out to see the bigger picture, they'll double down on what they've been doing up until this point, you know, much my, like my client, right? Like she was that player coach for her team of eight. So when she had 50, she was doing the same thing, but it, you can't do that with 50 people, right? It's just not, there's not enough of you to go around. So rather than doubling down and taking on more work or trying to go faster or take taking work home, like zoom out and look for what I call the leverage points. Like where are there you know, things that could be done more effectively? Are you prioritizing correctly? One of the tools that I use a lot and I teach a lot to my clients is the Eisenhower box, which I actually was first introduced to it in Stephen Covey's book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And General Eisenhower, President Eisenhower here in the US, he uh, came up with this tool, which on one axis is urgency and on the other axis is importance. And, you know, it's a four box. And obviously, the things that are both urgent and important are things that we need to really address immediately. But a lot of times, you know, the next thing that we'll spend our time on are are the things that are urgent and not important, you know, like that junk mail that's dinging as it's hitting your inbox. And we're we're stopping and saying, Oh, what is that? You know, it's urgent because my email just dinged, right? And we look at it, and it's not important. So it's wasting time, it's wasting our focus. And the things that usually get put on the back burner are the things that are important and not urgent, you know, so it could be like, this report that's due in three months that you have to do for the board, right? Like, that's critically important. But a lot of times, we don't even look at it until it's important and urgent, right? And then maybe our focus is constrained, and we're not really investing enough time, or we don't have time to get the resources that we need to do an even better job. So that's one of the things that I think is really important is, you know, if you're doing a a time inventory to also put it through the filter of the Eisenhower box, I've had clients that would tack that up at their desk. But you know, one of the other things that I'll have people do, and this is typically like, when we're first talking about working together is, you know, when people are looking for a coach or consultant, Usually it's because they're facing a challenge that they're not sure what to do about, right? They've tried different things and it's not working to the level that they'd really like to work at. And, you know, when I first talk with people, I explore that. Okay, let's talk about the pain points. And, you know, people are usually pretty connected with the pain points, right? Because it hurts that, you know, let's let's vent, let's complain about this, right? And it's fine. That's fine. We need to get the energy out, right? But at some point we need to like flip it and say, 
uh, okay, we've talked a lot about what you don't like. What would you like this to look like? You know, what would the ideal situation look like? Because that actually is the goal, right? And that's the vision. And if we can get clear on the goal, I mean, it's just like going on a road trip, right? Like we can wander all over the country and kind of, you know, have experiences, but you know, is that really going to be that productive? It would be a lot better if we just said, hey, I want to go to San Francisco. I'm in Chicago. I want to go to San Francisco. Let's start mapping out what that journey looks like, right? And we might switch things up on the way, right? Because undoubtedly, we'll run into detours or car accidents or whatever along the way. But, you know, just having a goal to begin with just helps to clarify things and really focus the energy on productive activities. Yeah. Just relating back to the uh, the Eisenhower matrix, one approach that I came across, and to be honest, I, I don't employ this as much as I'd like to, but when you mention those important tasks that are not necessarily like, you know, the house isn't going to burn down if you do them now, but you know they're important at the back of your mind, but you never seem to come to them. One way of tapping into the leverage points, as you mentioned, is figuring out which one of, which ones of those will have a cascading effect and will affect your other tasks and make everything else in your life much easier. Um, and so that that's something you just reminded me about. So, well, that's a great point. And, you know, one of the things that I've talked to a lot of my clients about is, you know, that important, but not urgent might be building a process to address a recurring issue, you know, and I've done this at, at previous places where I've worked where, you know, we'd get to the end of the year and my boss would expect me to provide a lot of detail on on something that had we tracked it the whole year would be easy but we didn't <laughs> so every year it was the same issue where we were fighting the same fire and uh, you know one year I just got smart and said oh, I'm going to engage somebody who can do some programming on the team I'm going to you know talk through what all of the steps could be in, a, in an effective process and I'm going to socialize it with people. And so we started doing things differently. So at the end of the year, providing that report to my boss was just a matter of printing out the sheet or, you know, making it into P PDF and sending it to them instead of having to open 150 files and dig through for some arcane piece of information. Yeah, yeah. That's actually something that I've started implementing with my my team with my agency is that, you know, every now and then there'll be this issue you come across. And, you know, it's a showstopper. You're like, oh, you know, we've got to fix this right now. Before we had this tendency to just fix it in the moment and then just be like, okay, great, we can move on now. And then just kind of forget about it. But then six months later, it would rear its head again. We were like, oh, how do we do this again? And it's a very simple thing, but we just started just documenting those issues, just saying, okay, why did it happen? How can we prevent it from happening in future? What was the resolution? And just documenting it. So the next time we happen, it happens, we know exactly where to look to resolve that issue and prevent it. Yeah, you're not fighting the same fire again and again and again, right? Or if you know there's a fire there, and then put a fire hydrant right next to it, next to it right? So you can put it out quickly. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. So Terry, can you, um, you've, you've mentioned your, your book briefly earlier on, but I'd love for you to tell us a little bit more about it. It's called Winning the Game of Work, Career Happiness and Success on Your Own Terms. So the obviously the title gives some of it away, but I'd love for you to just give us a brief synopsis of uh, what people can learn about uh, if they pick it up. Well, I guess I would just start by saying that 
I'm a first generation university graduate. I really wanted to, I set my sights on having a corporate career. And I just kind of figured I was a good student in school. And once I got into the workplace, if I just did the same things that made me successful in school in the workplace, that I'd be successful there as well. And it didn't take me too long to realize that there were a different set of rules that I did not know. about how to be truly effective in the corporate world. And I was just a keen observer. I've been a big reader over the years, but it really was, I learned the quote unquote, unwritten rules of the game of work the hard way, you know, through a lot of hard knocks. I hired coaches a couple times to help me understand what was going on and to get perspective. And I also had a couple of really good mentors that in some ways, like kind of pulled back the curtain and started pointing out to me the things that were that I didn't understand and helped me understand what the dynamics were. And so the reason why I wrote this book is to share those unwritten rules of the game of work. I just see it way too often in my coaching business. And, you know, even when I worked in the corporate world, when I was managing people that often they didn't understand some basic things about what was going on around them. And it made their jobs a lot more difficult. You know, they were taking things personally, or they didn't know how to influence or they were just dealing with the urgent things and not the important things. And so I don't like to see people in pain. <laughs> I want smart people who work really hard. I want them to get the results of their intelligence and hard work and not just feel like, you know, they're banging their head against a wall. So that's why I wrote the book. I want to share all the, the lessons that it took me so much pain and effort to learn. Fantastic. And uh, so can you tell the audience if, if they're interested in finding out more where they can find that book? Yeah, the book is available on Amazon worldwide. And uh, in the States, it's also available at Barnes & Noble. Fantastic. Um, Great stuff. So, Terry, you know, just before uh, before we wrap up, I'd love for you to also just let people know more about where they can find you. I know you've got a podcast yourself. I was saying earlier that I I love the uh, Latin-inspired music and theme uh, around the title. Um, So can you tell listeners about that one? Yeah. So my podcast is called Marketing Mambo, and we just started the second season in January. So excited that it hit its one-year anniversary at the end of December. Uh, Marketing Mambo, I say I cha-cha-chat with marketing movers and shakers from around the world. I was a marketer for 30 years before I became an executive coach. And this is sort of a little bit of an indulgence for me to (laughs) just to keep my toe in the water of marketing and advertising. I get to talk to lots of um, very interesting people in that in that field. Um, you can find it on all of the podcast platforms and also at its own website, marketingmambo.net. And then I don't know if you wanted me to talk about the, how I came up with the title. We were talking about that earlier, but <laughs> well, so I came up with Marketing Mambo because I wanted something that was fun that I could, you know, that I, I'm a marketer. I wanted to do something that was just like kind of fun and memorable, not just like, marketing career discussions podcast that just seems so boring. So I just like the alliteration of Marketing Mambo. And I figured that it would give me, you know, some cool music that, you know, I could do something fun. The imagery that goes along with it is actually Carmen Miranda's body with my face. (laughs) So just fun. That was really fun. And when I researched the meaning of Mambo, I found that it's actually a dialect and I think it's the Yoruba dialect in Africa. That's where the word Mambo comes from. And it means let's talk. So let's talk about marketing. That's basically what my podcast is about. But yeah, that's very interesting. I, I, I was not aware of the uh, origin of that term. 
Great. Okay. Well, uh, Terry, thank you uh, so much for sharing everything on this on this show. It's been lovely to hear all about your background and the great work that you're doing. And yeah, we'd love to have you back on the show someday, of course. Always welcome back. Um, but with all that said, just wanted to thank you very much for coming on. Well, thanks, John. Do you mind if I give my, um, my website? Oh, of course. Yes, please do. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so if people are interested in getting in touch, uh, you can go to my website at terrybmcdougall.com. You can set up time to chat with me there if you like, uh, free exploratory call. Or you can also connect with me on LinkedIn, and my handle on LinkedIn is terrybmcdougall. Thanks, John. Fantastic. Cheers, Terry. If you're looking for a better way to connect with and build relationships with high-ticket consulting clients, consider launching an interview podcast and invite your ideal clients to be guests on the show. You can find out more by listening in to our other podcast, appropriately named Podcasting for Consultants. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever else you get your podcasts. Alternatively, head on over to our website at podcastingforconsultants.net.